Clive Humby coined the phrase, data is the new oil. Every day we come to work, we are driven by data. How that data is disseminated can be the difference between having a well-oiled machine and a greasy, oily mess. So, you down with the ERP? Yeah, you know me. When researching into an ERP solution for your company, there are a lot of programs out there. There are a lot of questions that need to be asked. There's a ton of information that needs to be considered. From Microvelm Software, this is Exchange, where we discuss all things woodworking in Microvelm so you can streamline the way you work to maximize your efforts and your profits. I'm James Drury, and in this exchange, RJ and I sit down with Jonah Coleman of Energy to discuss what to consider when looking into an ERP solution. Jonah Coleman is well known in the woodworking industry. He's helped many people streamline the way they work with his extensive knowledge of lean manufacturing and processes. He's done everything from shop floor assembly, project management, estimating, and managing departments from small to large mill workshops. He's a self-proclaimed engineering nerd and a community proclaimed expert with cabinet so much so that I've heard many people use the term Jonah Vision. As a programmer, product specialist, and product owner for energy, he knows a little bit about how ERP should work. Here's how that discussion went. Welcome, Jonah. Thank you for joining RJ and I in today's exchange. I'm really grateful that you're here today and excited for the discussion that we're going to have. Uh, before we get started, uh, I would like to have you uh, give a brief description about yourself to our audience so they know a little bit more about who you are and, and what it is that, that you do and what you've done in the industry. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. And my background, I've done a little bit of everything there is to do in millwork shops. I worked in shops that were everything from 10 people to we had 350 in a large conglomerate that I worked at. I've built product on the floor. I've been an engineer, I've managed projects, I've estimated, I've served in management roles as an operational manager, that kind of a thing. My love is mostly engineering. I'm an engineering nerd. So that's what I tend to focus on. My background also included some software development. So I wrote an ERP for about 10 years that was used by 20 plus shops. And that's me. Great. Well, and that's great your experience there at the end, because that's exactly what we want to be uh, discussing today is ERP. And we live in a time where acronyms are the norm. It seems like everything is, has been abbreviated. So can you explain to us what ERP is, what it means? ERP stands for Enterprise Resource Planning. At core, that usually involves managing your labor, managing your materials. That can mean employees clocking in and out. It means you use it for running your payroll, even if you're sending it off to somebody else to cut some checks. Typically it means buying materials, purchasing, receiving. It can mean managing other aspects at a more granular level, but it doesn't always. And some systems blur the line with another acronym, which is MES which is Manufacturing Execution Systems, which gets down to that, what's happening on the shop floor level. Okay, no, great. Thanks for that explanation. You know, as I think about my experience uh, coming from a wood shop, um, we we had kind of looked into an ERP system and and I'd left, you know, after that, that process. So I was never involved in the integration or beyond just the initial research. Um, when it comes to companies that find themselves in a situation where they're looking for an ERP, what, what are the first steps that companies should be taking? So a lot of it is going to depend on what pain is causing you to look for an ERP. At core, you're using ERP to solve the problem of, I need everybody to know what's going on, right? A lot of times it's almost a predictable progression of things. A woodworking shop gets going, they get a couple of people working for them. They grow up to be, you know, a successful million dollar a year, 12 to 15 employees. They're making some good money. They keep growing. They hit that $2 million wall and everything falls apart. Literally everything breaks 
because what's happened is the business has grown too large for any one person to keep the whole thing in their mind. It used to be that the owner could just do it all himself or at least know what was happening. Can't do that anymore. So they hire some employees, they start breaking it up. The scope is still such that one person can kind of know everything there is to know about a particular project. So you add a project manager, they're the, the ones who know everything about it. Not everybody else has to, but they're the person you go talk to if you need to know. And they handle the purchasing, they handle the engineering a lot of times, they handle the, the customer and they grow and things are going well. And then when they double again at about $4 million, it all breaks again. And the reason why is the scope has now grown too large for any one person to know everything there is to know. And you start specializing, right? You break up your project managers into project managers and engineers. Maybe you add on a purchasing person and you take that off their plate and you start growing again and you start developing all these terrible spreadsheets and data all over the place. But at least you kind of know who to talk to about any particular problem. And then as you grow, pretty soon it gets so large that you don't even know that, right? So if you're looking for ERP, it's because you have a pain of some kind. That pain might be, we can't keep track of our materials, in which case you need an ERP that handles your materials. The pain could be, we can't keep track of the work that we have to do. We lose track of that, in which case you need an ERP that helps you with that, right? And in woodworking, we're kind of a different beast. So there are some very typical pain points here. And I work for an ERP that is aimed at millwork. And our solutions are very different from, for example, somebody aimed at metalworking. So RJ, I know uh, in your experience too, you, you had an ERP uh, at the shop that you came from. Maybe you could share some of your experience into the pain points that Jonah had, had mentioned there. So yeah, I do have a little bit of experience you know, with the uh, ERP systems in the shop that I came from. I think Jonah gave a, a great example of you know a smaller shop that's you know growing and, and scaling up a little bit and then looking into different ERP systems or a bigger ERP system that might work well for them. Um, so that was my experience coming from a shop, you know, or a smaller shop ranging in the two to three million dollar range. Um, and we started small. So, you know, there was there was an ERP system that was actually in place before I came into the office. And it was for time tracking and payroll and um, just the very basics. And then from there, we started to see some of the, the pain points of you know production and scheduling. And so trying to implement another ERP system was was difficult. And so what we did was we actually transitioned from a smaller one and then we we bought a, another system. And so that transition period worked well, but it was a lot more of just you know time tracking and payroll and uh, employee information. So still not a lot of project tracking or or labor tracking, material tracking. So then we went in and invested in another ERP system. So I think this could relate to a lot of shops. And this would be my question for Jonah is, what would a company in a situation like we were in do when we're trying to scale up the business, where we're adding a different ERP system, we start with something small um, and we start adding to that. We maybe in our situation, we added a different one um, and then started adding to that. So eventually we got to the point where there were about three different ERP systems in the office, one dealing with accounting, payrolling, another one with purchase orders and um, job costing and estimating. And then another one that was basically just tracking um, opportunities, new opportunities for us. So to try to get those three to integrate with each other and communicate, that was difficult. So we found ourselves kind of juggling a lot. And then there was one in the shop floor. So we had another system in the shop floor that would help with basically just products and um, shipping. But what we were missing was that system that kind of incorporated everything together. Um, taking what we had in the office, what was working there, and then taking what we had in the shop and then mingling all those two or those various systems together. So um, Jonah, maybe you can help us understand what would a company in that situation do when you have so many multiple ERP systems working, but yet they're all not working well together. So there's two approaches that get taken to ERP. One approach that you'll read about is, is the best in breed approach, which is I'm going to take a lot of different pieces of things and I'm gonna glue them together. And that way I get the very best of every different aspect. And there's value in that, but there's, there's difficulty in that also, which is that you need an organization that has a lot of tech resources because you're gonna write a lot of custom software to link all that stuff together. 
And you're going to deal with problems like I've upgraded my CRM, which is customer relationship management. You mentioned for tracking opportunities. I've upgraded that and now it's no longer compatible with my other pieces and I have to put it all together. Typically, you see that approach in like very large companies that have some developer resources on staff and they can, you know, ahead of time, roll out a change and test it and make all the changes needed to ensure that the system keeps working and then they can roll it out to their company. I don't see a lot of millwork companies where that is a good approach or one that gets used very much because they just don't have the technical resources available. So the other approach is you, you buy a system that encompasses as much of that as possible, right? Ideally, we'd have a system, one system to rule them all, right? It would be birth to death. It would do everything from your first initial contact to generating your financial statements. But I don't. I would argue that really doesn't exist in our industry. Uh, there, there's always going to be other things you need to tie in, like your engineering software, right? Or your accounting package. Those are the, typically the two that you have to tie in. And so for you guys, again, the question is going to be, what's your pain point? You know, some things are going to be working well in what you have and some things aren't. And you're going to find your ERP that addresses that pain first. I think you guys already know this, but half of all ERP implementations fail. So companies spend very large amounts of dollars on this software and it never even gets off the shelf because they put it away, right? And the reason for that is, is that change is hard and there is no harder change than your ERP. So most of what goes into your ERP needs to be change management, making sure that your company is ready to come along with you on this journey. And old saying is that the people don't change until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of whatever change you're trying to do. Nobody starts a diet until they find out from their doctor that they're they're going to have cancer if they don't, right? So in this case, you find your pain point. And I think your pain point basically boiled down to, we've got all these different systems that I have to look at. If I'm a project manager, I got to look five different places to understand what's going on, right? So your pain is going to be addressed by an ERP that handles the majority of those functions. Other places are going to have pain like, we have no idea what materials we have for these projects. And they're going to primarily look for and start with an ERP that's going to address just that part of the problem. Does that make sense as an answer? Yeah. So that, yeah, thank you, Jonah. I think that definitely helps out a lot. Um, one of the things, you know, that we were finding was one of our biggest pain points was material, um, you know, trying to track material, cut down on overordering material, trying to set up some type of inventory system. Um, now, what we ran into was that we had, again, back to the, the best of breeds, and maybe that's not the best approach, but having a different ERP system that was intended to, to track inventory, but yet that wasn't really being used in the shop. So we had a separate shop software uh, or ERP system that was meant to do that, but we were only utilizing portions of each. Um, so again, I, I think a question that I would have at that time would be, since we're in this situation where we are bouncing back and forth and we're having to go into different systems and doing a lot of extra work to kind of keep track of everything. Would your recommendation be at that point to basically start from scratch and find something that would encompass everything or take with what we did have working for us and try to expand on that and maybe finding some different systems that could maybe um, integrate better with what was working in the shop and meeting our, you know, or, or at least trying to fix one of those pain points of material, job tracking, project tracking, um, over-ordering, things like that. So there are a couple answers to that. So the first one is, it depends a little bit on your company. If your company happens to have you know, a very forward-looking techie attitude that's going to deal well with it, the problems that happen from trying to glue a bunch of systems together, and you've got the right people to do that gluing, you can be pretty successful. Homegrown stuff fits the company really well, if that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. Nothing will ever fit you like an ERP that you develop yourself. That's just the end of the story. But there are some risks involved. It's a trade-off. Everything's a trade-off. If there was a silver bullet, we would just all do that. And there's not. So the trade-off is you are now completely reliant on that tech person who built that for you. And the day that they get angry at you and leave, or the day that they get hit by a bus and leave, is the day that your system stops working, right? 
So to mitigate that risk, uh, you need to do something, which is either you need to have some backups in place for that person, or you need to, to consider that an off-the-shelf solution, no matter how customizable, is never going to fit you as well as your homegrown solution did. Just end of story. But it comes with the trade-off of not having those risks. It's supported. You know, this is very similar to engineering software. I think you guys have been around long enough to know there are still a lot of companies that have their own little homegrown engineering solutions. And I'm sure that you guys end up having these same conversations with them that, yeah, that's great. It does precisely what you want it to do. But what happens when that person is on vacation? Oh, well, we're in trouble then. Yeah, so there's a trade-off. The second half of what I would tell you is you're going to need to somehow convince everyone that they need to come along with you on this journey. Because the people on your shop floor are going to say, we use this time tracking system because we like it. And the people in your office are going to say, well, we're using this system to integrate with our engineering for inventory because we like it. And you need something to push them along. So in your case, you said, we struggle with inventory. We don't know what we have. We're over-ordering or under-ordering. Under-ordering is probably more dangerous. You're going to end up probably using that as the wedge, right? Well, let's solve this other problem. And you're going to tell your people, I don't know how to do it. Because if you tell them what to do, they won't want to go that way. You say, I don't know how to do it. But I do, I've looked at, we've done some demos here and some demos there. And, you know, I wish there was a way to solve this problem. And if you get them kind of 80% of the way there, they'll think that the rest of it was their own idea, mm -hmm. right? I actually use this same approach in engineering. So when I have gone into a new shop, a lot of times I've brought along a new method of building custom products. And everybody hates it because it's not what they do, right? Quote, unquote. You know how in every millwork shop, the way we build things came from God to the shop foreman on a stone tablet, and it's the one and only right way to do it. And so it's hard to change. And so I would always just intentionally omit some really obvious things that should happen, right? So uh, you leave out what I call a cleat, like a hangrail, in a place where there should be one. And the first guy who puts it together will tell you how terrible your whole system was, but it would be way better if you added this thing and you say, oh, God, I'm glad that we had you involved to come up with that idea because I'm going to do that. And from now on, he owns that and he will tell everybody what a great system this is, right? So you somehow have to do that. And a common approach I have recommended is you tell people, look, I'm not going to tell you how we get there, but for everything that we buy, I need to know what bin it's in. I need to be able to look somewhere. I don't care if it's Excel, whatever it is. And I need to see a list of everything in that bin. And I need to be able to check it. And it needs to always be right. And that will be very difficult for them to do manually. You've introduced some pain, right? And then pretty quick, they're going to say, there has to be some software to do this. And you say, oh my gosh, you're right. I'm glad you came up with that idea. My wife takes that similar approach with me. <laughs> Um, that's, that's how everything works. Right. I, she has an idea and suddenly I'm like, oh, I think it's my idea and she gets exactly what she wants. And I'm like, dang it. I fell right into the trap. I mean, as you're talking, I'm like, there are so many things that, <laughs> that have happened recently that I'm like, man, I just fell into it again. <laughs> so, at, you know, and I work for energy, right? Uh, we believe in the Cotter change model. It's an eight step change model. And we preach it and we have classes on it and it's actually even built into our software. But step one is you have to establish a sense of urgency. There has to be something pushing it there. And it might already exist and it might not. And if it doesn't, you need to figure out some way to create it. The last thing I'll say about your question, RJ, is when you, when you buy a commercial offering, you do get exposed to some best practices. There are, there are a lot of things that we all do that maybe there are better ways to do them out there. But we just think they're the right way because there are way. Mm. I always tell people there is some subset of what you do that constitutes your competitive advantage, right? It's the reason why your customers come to you. And it often isn't what we think it is. A lot of times you start talking to shops and they say, we make this Z-shaped Z adjustable shelf, right? We might have fold the front, we might have fold the back. So it goes up one way and down the other, and we have to do it that way. And you say, why do you have to do it that way? Oh, it's, it's the key to our success. And you go, all right, so if I call up 
five random customers and ask them, hey, what do you think about the way we do our adjustable shelves? And they go, I no idea what you're talking about. Then it's not competitive advantage, right? And with engineering software, you guys see this too. I know you do, because I've been through it with plenty of shops on engineering software. They say, we have to do our corner toe kick this way. And it's something that the software just doesn't do easily, right? You could make it do it, but, but it will take some work. And you're like, why? Well, it's, it's that important. Well, it's not. Your customers have no idea how you do your, or maybe they do. Just call them and ask, right? Well, your accounting processes, your purchasing processes, those are kind of solved problems. They likely are not your source of competitive advantage. And you might be doing things in a way that's inefficient and costing you money, and it's not paying you in any way, shape, or form. And ERP is a great chance to learn those things, identify those things, have the conversation like, is this really something that contributes to our success? Because if not, let's change it to the cheaper way. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. Yeah, great way to look at it too. So when, when it comes to finding uh, an ERP solution, right? It may, maybe you're not doing a homegrown uh, solution and you're, you're looking outside. Um, what are some of the ingredients, we'll call them ingredients here, uh, to make, to find the right solution and to properly get it implemented? What, what does that entail? What steps need to happen for that? It's a great question. Uh, we'll cover ingredients, but there's a kind of a first overriding question, which is how much resources do you have to put into it? Because there are ERPs that you can get that are gonna cost you like 10 grand. And there are ERPs that you can get that are gonna cost you a million dollars, right? And obviously there is some subset of shops that the million dollar solution is not, not gonna work for. And a lot of it boils down to, without regard to the purchase price, how much time you have to work with the system. A shop that's got four people in it is gonna struggle to keep an ERP up to date. I don't care what, what you're doing. Now, again, there is some portion of small shops that it's right for because they're kind of forward looking and they have big plans and they wanna grow fast and they wanna be around people who've been there and done that, learned the problems and have solutions already. And that's great. If that's you, by all means, you know, do it but you have to kind of pick what ballpark you're going to be playing in as an analogy. Second from there, you know, the basic ingredients are going to be, is it, is it web-based or is it install-based? Are you going to have mobile apps? There's reasons to maybe go one way or the other. Web-based is accessible anywhere. If you're out at a job site, you have access to everything. If you're the owner, hopefully you're sitting on a beach somewhere with your feet up, you can see how your company's running. Or if you're sitting in your office because you don't have time, more likely. Desktop based requires a little more, you know, installing. You might have to have a server on site, you might have to have a tech person who can maintain that server. Depends on the software. From there, you're going to get into the things that are important to you. And it gets back to that pain. And I'll give you an example. The company that I just left actually is a company that gets paid a premium for on-time performance. So for that company, we cared way more about getting materials in early and long than we did about being exact. RJ, you mentioned over-ordering. Our problem would literally be the opposite. We never wanted to under-order because we're getting paid this premium for our on-time performance. And if we have 15 $70 sheets of laminate left over at the end of a million-dollar job, I just I couldn't give a crap. Not even a little, right? Other companies have a different you know, position in the market. Other companies are very price sensitive. And so being exact on materials mattered more. And those things change how you do things. So for us, we picked an ERP that had a built-in on-screen takeoff tool. And as a project manager, when I started the project, I started with an estimated bill of materials. And I just ordered, and I ordered long because I don't care about that. Uh, now there's exceptions. You don't do that to every, you're not going to do that to like a you know, really expensive acrylic. I'm not sure if we're supposed to say brand names here, but I'm going to guess everybody knows what I have in mind. I care if I'm three sheets long on that because it could be $9,000. So, you know, we were kind of a hybrid, but other shops, they don't order a thing until they've engineered. And there's a trade-off there, right? And your ERP needs to support whatever mode you're going to use, if that makes sense. 
You can't let your ERP package drive how you run your business in the areas that are critical to its success. So where does Micromelon fit into all this? It depends a little bit on your workflow, like we talked about, but in general, you're going to use, you are going to need engineering software. You know, the odds of you finding an ERP software that includes engineering in it are low to begin with. There's not a lot out there. And the odds of those being the right fit for you are slightly less than that. So I would argue you're still going to always have an engineering package. I think that you're going to use it to probably tell your ERP what is shipping. Engineering is a good source of data for that when it comes to straightforward scope like casework and countertops. You might want to keep in mind that when it gets more custom, sometimes the shop's a little more involved and what engineering thought was going to go out as is four pieces of die wall ends up going out as two or seven. And so you might want to make sure that you're not picking. And if that's you, if you're more, if you do a lot of custom stuff, you don't want to pick a package where just the, the list out of engineering is all that there is because those ERPs do exist, right? You're going to use your engineering software to create your shop drawings, but your ERP can then help you manage Okay, what drawings do we have out there? What drawings are approved? What have questions on them? Because once you know the backlog of all the drawings that you have and are they approved and do we have materials and are we waiting on any information like field dimensions or questions? You know, if you don't have any of that stuff going on, that's scope you could produce right now. And if you don't have an ERP, that just lives in somebody's head. Yeah. If you do have an ERP, then as a production manager, you can go through and say, you know what, we have some capacity at the shop this week, and I would like to find it. So your ERP can handle managing information about engineering, but it's engineering is very critical to the success of most companies. And I just don't think you want to let your engineering choices be driven by your ERP. Now, Jonah, I do have a, a question when it comes to you know, engineering software and ERP and the integration of the two. Let's say I'm a shop and I've got, you know, a, a certain design and engineering uh, software. Um, may, how do I know if that's going to tie into an ERP? And should that really dictate what design software I should have? Well, the answer is whoever you're talking to about your ERP, you need to make them show you that it can read data from your engineering software, and you need to understand what it's going to do with them. It's inappropriate for ERP to be dictating, you know, how we're going to build things. You don't want a system that does that. How we're going to build things starts really getting to the core of how we make our money and what our competitive advantage is. So we need to have a system that allows whatever we're going to do to work, right? Make them show it to you. Make them explain to you how the data is used. You should have options to update the bills of materials or the material requirements in your ERP out of your engineering software. But I would argue that that can't be the only way to do it. Because like I said before, some companies, as the one that I was in, care more about being on time than exact with materials. So we would never wait until engineering was done to order our materials. Make sure that it supports whatever workflow you want to do one way or the other, because again, we're getting to the core to your competitive success. Number two, it should be able to create kind of a shipping manifest, a list of items that may be communicated to the shop for you. Again, the shop can be kind of involved in that. Sometimes the shop engineering doesn't necessarily know exactly how things are going to go out. If you're talking about just casework, cabinets, countertops, it's a little easier, kind of the list out of microvellum or whatever is generally going to be pretty close, but the more custom it gets, the less exact, you know, it's nice for, or even a hybrid, it's nice for engineering to say there's going to be six pieces of die wall come out. And then the shop can say, well, actually we shipped those two assembled. So there's only five. And also over here, I got a, you know, loose pallet that has all the removable panels on it, something like that. And beyond that, you know, some of us, some of the systems will start bringing in machine code to run machines, acting as document management, that kind of a thing, letting shop drawings get down to the shop floor level. And you can go all the way to the manufacturing execution systems 
that are doing the part scanning and the, the sorting racks, and, you know, marking damaged parts. But beyond that, it should be kind of a one-way direction. I don't think engineering should be taking direction from your ERP very much, if that makes sense. Now the department, running the department is a different story, right? What work should we do next? Your ERP should help you understand what's the next most urgent work to move to, right? I, I'm a big believer in what I call agile engineering, which is kind of a rip off of the agile software development methodology. But in general, in that philosophy, you should be working on the next most date critical thing. And your ERP should definitely help you understand that. RJ, uh, with your experience at the shop you came from, what problems did your ERP solve? I mean, you, you mentioned earlier that you kind of went from one to another to mm -hmm. another. Uh, you had some difficulty bringing them all together. Um, but what was it that, you know, kind of culminated from all that, that you were finally able to just get in the groove and get going? What, what kind of took place there? Yeah. So, I mean, I would say, you know, talking earlier about how many different systems we were using, um, the one that worked best for us was one that was a little bit more of a hybrid system, like you were talking about, Jonah. Um, I felt that it was very important for what we manufactured or what we were producing out of the office was sent to the shop. Obviously, we wanted that data to be accurate. We wanted to make sure that shipping list was accurate based on that data that we had in our engineering software. But to your point, Jonah, if something needed to get fabricated on the shop floor, or if there was another thing that we were receiving from an outside vendor that needed to be shipped along with this project, to have the capability to go into that hybrid, so to speak, type of software in the shop and add up multiple items, a miscellaneous item, adjusting a quantity, um, you know, a big, I would say one of the biggest things that we noticed with that system that we were using in the shop was the fact that we were able to print labels for um, specific products that were not engineered from the office. So that data was not getting pulled in by the ERP system. It was having to be entered manually, and yet we were still able to get a label for it with a barcode. We were able to scan and, you know, really helped with shipping. So one of the, the biggest things, you know, a lot of phone calls that we would get from, from our team out in the field was, hey, we're missing parts. We're missing, you know, the worst phone calls, we're missing an entire cabinet. So that, that shipping list was definitely one of the things that we saw kind of make the biggest improvement um, with that ERP system that we were using. As far as the office goes, it was still a struggle. You know, some of the systems that we were using in there were still not really able to track the workflow. Um, that was another big problem. So with scheduling where I was, you know, in charge of scheduling and that went from production to installation to make sure that we were sending out projects in the correct order to the shop, to make sure that the shop then had that proper workflow without juggling projects going back and forth, depending on the installation schedule, we wanted to send that, that project out in the correct order. So that was one thing that we never really, um, you know, I would say not perfected, um, but didn't get the most out of the system that we were using in the, in the office was because we weren't able to really see what one project manager had in their, in, on their plate compared to another project manager. And then how we were able to look at all that information and decide this is what needs to be processed first. It was very much first come first serve. Hey, my project's ready to go. It gets out to the shop. Well, wait a second. Now we got issues from the shop floor trying to understand what do we need to be working on? Are we trying to just stay busy and keep the guys building stuff, even though it's going to get staged and not installed for another couple of weeks. So that system in the office was something that would have definitely benefited us. Um, we had it working in the shop pretty well as far as tracking and products and being able to add miscellaneous items. But um, yeah, to get that communication in the office, that was something we were still looking for. You know, there's two really great points there. So the first one is the barcoded shipping products, right? It's amazing. If you just stick even fake barcodes on your products, the reduction in phone calls you get where they're like, hey, you didn't send me this because mm -hmm. they think, oh, these guys are actually tracking it. And to be able to say, well, actually, we, we scanned it onto a truck yesterday at 2 p.m. You need to look a little harder. It's probably there is very powerful when you're working with general contractors and installers. That's always a good, sorry, sorry to interrupt, Joan. I was just saying that's a good little piece of information, too, to, you know, that you can provide. So, right. So we get a lot of questions that are coming in. And the worst thing is to not have an answer. 
So if we're getting asked a question by a contractor saying, hey, we need this, we're up against the deadline, you didn't send it, it gives them, you know, it puts the accountability back onto them. You, you guys got to do a little bit more on your end to make sure because we're doing it on ours. We've put the system in place. We have these labels. We are scanning. So I think that's a great point to, to you know, touch on that. Well, part of your second point is a, a distinction you see in ERPs. You see ERPs that are really just shop floor tracking systems, and they call themselves an ERP, but they're really just MES. They hmm. add on a few other things like purchasing. And then you see other systems that are aimed at just kind of managing the workload, like you talked about. There's different ways of scheduling. There is a way of scheduling that I would guess is what you were dealing with called finite capacity scheduling, where you're trying to schedule right down to the who's going to work on what on a given day. And in a job shop, that's a hard problem, all right? In a job shop like we run, if you tell me what you're going to work on on a given day, I don't believe you even a tiny little bit. If you tell me what you're going to work on in a particular week, I believe you a little more. If you talk to me about what's going to get done in a month, well, then I think you have some good visibility into that, right? So at Energy, we actually don't focus as much on the shop floor as we do on the office. We believe that the money is really made in the office. By the time it gets to the shop floor, a lot of the decisions have been made that are going to be made. The materials are there. It, you know, It's either late or it's not. And the shop can only influence it this much. It's important to be good in the shop, but the control ends up on the front end. And the hard part about it is the shop is what gets, what gets all our attention. We might have a project for eight months and it only has the last four weeks on the shop floor, but that's where we can see it. You know, the, the book, The Goal, Big Believers in the Theory of Constraints. Uh, Eli uh, Goldrat says, how do you find a bottleneck on the floor? You walk out and you look at where the parts are stacked up. But you can't do that in the office because it's invisible, intellectual, right? So our system was always aimed at taking that and making it visible. And then you can start to focus on what's in the way of getting this work done. What's our bottleneck? Is our bottleneck engineering? A lot of shops think that their bottleneck is engineering because that's the first part where you can start to see it because their output feeds a router. And if that router is sitting idle, you think, ah, engineering is behind it. But it might not be. It might be that engineering just had a tremendous amount of work dumped onto it. But last week they had nothing to do. And then they had a tremendous amount of work dumped on them and then nothing to do. And the same with your shop, right? If we can level that out and if we can get our work to the shop, if I get my work order released with all the dimensions of the materials and I can get it to the shop with three weeks left, they're going to get it done. It's going to be fine. We're going to make good money on it, right? If I turn it in and I say, uh, guys, this is actually burning on fire and I need it in three days. Well, then we're probably not going to be fine, right? And so you have to decide for yourself. Do I want something that's really focused at, you know, where's this left end? Where's that right end? Where's this top? Those are important to somebody. But to the organization as a whole, getting the work to the shop with sufficient lead times can have a lot more profitability impact, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Jonah, we're just coming off of IWF. Um, we were there, y'all were there. And I have to say, every time I walked past your booth, y'all were swamped from start to finish, day one to last day. Seemed like uh, every, I couldn't even get a chance to come in and talk with you. That's how, how busy y'all were. It didn't matter what time of day it was. Obviously, y'all are doing something right. And I'm curious, what is it that the energy has that maybe some of the other ERPs out there are, are missing? What is it that separates you from other ERP software? Sure. The first thing is, you know, we're, we're mill workers. The people involved in producing this software are mill workers, and it came out of a mill work shop. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, or maybe six years ago, that uh, AWFS, there was some vendor coming in from a different industry trying to maybe step their toe in the water and see if they could sell their ERP here. And I sat down for a demo and he showed putting some cabinets in. And then somebody said, great, but what's it do with die walls? And the guy said, so this die wall, is it like your normal cabinet product, only now it's pink or is this something different? And everybody got up and left because it was like, you guys can't even speak our language, right? 
that's that's the most obvious difference between us and some of the larger ERPs that are out there because they're coming in from other industries. There are other ERPs from our industry. And where we're different from there is we actually focus on the education. Our software is only about half of the value that we offer to our customers. And I'm pretty sure they would tell you the same thing. They're paying to be part of this ecosystem with learning and education. And we give suggested best practices. And we're going to try pretty hard to convince you that what I just said about getting the, the work to the shop, a clean release with four weeks, and you're going to make tons of money. They believe that. And we offer things like uh, Harvard Business School case study method education, where we bring in employees, everybody from owners down to shop floor people. And you go for three separate one-week sessions, and you're going to learn about business in general, and then how to apply it to the millwork industry. Because our industry is full of shops with an owner who's really, really good at millwork and didn't have the business background. And he built this behemoth of a great shop that's doing everything right, but just didn't have that experience, if that makes sense. And you can kind of see it in the profitability numbers. If you look at, for example, the AWI cost of doing business survey, the average firm didn't make any money this last year. And what you can see too, is there's this 30 year trend of the top quartile of those companies taking more and more of the profit. And I really think that it's gonna end up a lot like CNC technology was. When that first came out, it was adopted by a small number of people, but now it's hard to be competitive without automatic saws and automatic CNCs. You know, and that it, those firms are taking more and more of the profits. And I think information management is gonna become the same thing. Those firms that are good at it are gonna make more and more money. We're really all just data companies now to a certain extent that also make sawdust. You know, and on the education side of things, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit here and, uh, you know, kind of share a little bit about what, what Microvellum's initiative is with that as well, because we're, we're very focused on that. And RJ has been at the forefront of that whole effort. RJ, um, if you could, you know, maybe feed Jonah and our audience a little bit into what what to expect, what's coming, uh, what you've been working on. Yeah, yeah, no, thanks, James. Yeah, I mean, you know, kind of to what Jonah was was talking about, the the training on the software is huge, right? And, and getting the the experience of the user, you know, to give game to give them that experience that they're looking for is very important. And I know it's really important for for energy to do that. And for for us here at Microvellum, it's also really important. You know, we're we're listening to the users. We want to make your experience better. Um, you know, there's, I think we've all kind of been there. We've, we've been in, in these shoes of feeling frustration and, and maybe not having enough of the information out there that we need. So what Microvellum's doing is we're making it a priority to provide that information, to provide that, that better training and that education that's needed. So you can get to that happy place sooner. Um, you know, we're, we're actually in the midst of opening up our doors here at headquarters and in Australia. Um, for training to be done here on site. So we're, we're holding classes starting at the end of October. We're going to be holding a week-long training class in Australia, and that starts on October 31st. So we're really excited about that. And then the week after, we're going to be here at headquarters in Southern Oregon and doing another week-long training that will be covering some very beginner basics of understanding the software, um, just some of the things that you would kind of need to to get familiar with it, some best practices, those type of approaches, and then leading into some more intermediate and advanced level training. So we're really excited about what we're doing here at Microvellum, um, just trying to, to give that information and give that knowledge and to expand our user base. And like I said, just to get everybody to that happy place sooner. So we're really excited about where we're going with that. That brings up a great point that we really haven't covered and I should have covered under ingredients. You wanna, you wanna when you go looking for ERP, you should figure out what kind of a company that you're working with. And this is true for engineering as well. What you said just made me think about it because I've been around a lot of engineering software packages uh, and I've been very impressed with Microvellum's listening to the voice of the customer. Microvellum had a big shift of heart a couple of years back and it was visible to start listening to the customers and get the developers talking to the customers and catching those things. And that is really important. And, just like in engineering software, some of your competitors don't listen at all. And same is true in ERP. You wanna make sure that you're working with a, cost, a company that's going to listen to the customers and not just do what they want. 
and kind of with what energy is doing too, with energy, you know, putting the emphasis on that training and making sure that what we're providing is going to work for you to give you that experience that, that you're really wanting. When you make a big purchase and you dive in and you're, you're ready for this change, you want to make sure that you have the backing of a company like energy and, and, and microvellum. Yeah. yeah I, I was going to just reiterate the, the same point, you know, listening to the users. I know in our other conversations, Jonah, that's that's something that energy is very uh, in tune with as well. So, I mean, it, it just seems kind of foreign to me, if if you will, that companies don't adopt that process as much as they should. And but they like don't. you mentioned before, that's <laughs> that's your competitive advantage. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And I've been around the millwork space now for 20 some odd years. Millwork software companies in particular have been pretty bad about this, not listening to their customers. And we have features in our software that our CEO never wanted and literally would have said over my dead body, but the customers demanded it. So they get it. Um, I do want to go back a little bit to what we were talking about earlier, as far as um, being a smaller company and being in a situation where I am looking to grow. Um, I've decided, you know, I, I want to scale up. So I went ahead and I purchased Microvellum and it's, it's the software that's going to be able to do everything that I want it to do for me, but I'm not quite there with an ERP system yet. Would I be, would it be in my best interest to go ahead and start with a smaller ERP system or go ahead and, and start working with uh, somebody like energy and, and get that going right now and just maybe using what I need to at the beginning and then allowing that to scale up as well. What would you be your recommendation on something like that? Yeah, great question. Energy right now, you know, we're, I don't know, we're the, the middle boys in terms of size. There are very small ERP companies out there and there are very large ERP companies out there, right? Where you're going to spend a million dollars and then you're, that's just to get the software, not even to get it working. We're nowhere near the, either one of those points. And we're a bit large for a small operation. I said, if you got three people, we're, we're too much for you. And in fact, if you come talk to us, we're going to tell you that, that we're a little bit too much for you. But there is a small subset of those companies where the owner comes in and says, yeah, I just started up. I got six people working for me, but you've never seen anybody who wants to grow as fast as I'm going to. Uh, some of those people are from not the woodworking industry and they're in for a little bit of a surprise. <laughs> but if they're forward looking and, and that's their plan, being around a company that's more than just an ERP is the way to go. If you just buy, you know, some large $250,000 package and install it and they say, here you go, now grow with it. There's a lot you don't know. You don't even know what you don't know at that point. And so that's where the education becomes a big chunk of the value that can happen. And, and I don't just mean like our Harvard Business School type case study education. That's great too. But in general, education on best practices, what's the best way? How should I set up my accounting? How do other companies do this, right? The networking effects that come along. A lot of times it isn't your ERP supplier who's gonna be telling you this. They're gonna connect you with other customers who are gonna say, here's what I do. Here's how I do percent complete at the end of the month with this data. Here's how I do milestone-based revenue recognition. All those really technical things, you know, they're gonna speak your language, but they can tell you how they do it. And the value is huge in that. So the scenario you gave me is exactly what I'm talking about. I would say, you know what? I don't think you should start with some small system. I don't think you should just start with spreadsheets because you're going to outgrow them too fast. And this change is painful. It's true. You're going to need to skip past. And we talked earlier, there's these, uh, on a normal progression for a millwork firm, there are these plateaus and it's about 2 million, then 4 million, then 8 million where everything breaks and things stop working. And if your plan is to grow that fast, then you need to skip those plateaus. And so you need to be punching outside your weight range, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, thank you for that, Jonah. Yeah, that, that's good. That's very good advice. Um, and then, so kind of just to, to back backtrack a little bit on that. So scaling up would be too difficult. Right. So trying to start with something small and then scaling up from there to transition into a, a different ERP system just wouldn't be worth the effort. And then too many people, you've lost too many people. Maybe the buy in isn't there anymore. So to start maybe with a bigger type of system and then using it what you need it for and then allowing that to scale up with you, that, that sounds like the better approach. 
And it's, I think you can compare this to the engineering software world where you guys have a lot of experience, right? There are a ton of little mom and pop shops that just use some plugin to SketchUp of some kind for their engineering software. And you know what? It's fine for them. And if they're just happy being, you know, just paying themselves a small wage and covering themselves and going out in the shop and running the saw every once in a while, you know, they're kind of okay. But if, if I come to you and I say, look, I just started this shop and I only have me and one engineer and two people in the shop floor, but I'm going to grow like nobody's business, you know, you're going to say the same thing. Well, look, you should start with something that's going to handle what you need to do. And yes, it's a lot of work right now for you to get set up and started. It's going to take a ton of your management attention span to get this going, but it's going to have an outsized effect as you grow. And it's the same, it's the same argument. So, you know, looking at at the different shops, and you mentioned earlier, you know, that a lot of times as you start hitting those marks, the 2 million, 4 million, 8 million, you're adding personnel to that. You know, maybe you started off where you're the owner and the accountant. Now you're moving into, I've just hired an accountant. And how does how does ERP tie into and affect accounting? Sure. It's a great question. So what I usually see is that, you know, controllers, CFOs, those type of people, they, they often hate ERP. They, they tend to think, you know, they've been operating just out of their QuickBooks or Peachtree or whatever, and they just think of all of this as accounting's data. It's a fight that you see a lot. They think purchasing, well, that's really accounting's data. Inventory levels, that's data that's for accounting, right? Payroll, uh, time tracking, that's just data, information that accounting needs, when really it's not. It's information that belongs to the business and that the business needs in order to work, but it's always lived just in accounting software. And it's, it's hard for them to give it up and understand that you're gonna have two systems now. You now have a, have a financial accounting system, which is where you generate your income statements, your balance sheets, you do your taxes out of, and you're gonna have a managerial accounting system, which gives the business feedback quickly so that it can adjust. In an accounting world, they want to make sure that your income statement is all the way done and that every decimal point ties off. So you're not getting it until halfway through the following month or even later, but that's too late for the business. The business needs to know right now that it looks like we're going to make about $50,000 of EBIT because and accountants struggle with this. If it's 50,000 or if it's 52,000 or 49,000, it's like the same story. It just doesn't matter. And that's really hard for them. So there is this overcoming step that I've been through a ton of times with accountants. And when it's done, they love it because their jobs are easier and it gets the information where they're going and they tend to see the benefits to the business faster. But it's a, it can be a little bit of a battle at first. Well, I, I like how you, you, you've had experience with that. Um, and I'd also like to pick your brain on what kind of experience you might have as far as running an engineering department and ERP. We just got off of accounting. Let, let's let's move into more of the, the microvellum side of things where we're dealing with engineers and engineering departments. How does that tie in? How Explain that to us if you could. Yeah, and so I've been the engineering manager in multiple different companies of different sizes. And I'll say this, if you do your ERP right, if you wanted to, you should be able to continue doing what you're doing. If you're, if you're just nailing it, okay, great. It better support that. I haven't met too many people who are just nailing it though. And it's not their fault. It's the fault of the business. What ends up happening is the business kind of runs itself at whatever level that the PMs think is the right amount of information for engineering. And so the, the PMs end up actually dictating the size of work orders going out onto the shop floor right? They, by what they release, they release work order number 17 that had seven floors worth of cabinets. And that's what goes to the shop floor. And that's, for one thing, you end up with work that you could have done anytime because it was in there and we had everything we needed to, but the PM just didn't get around to releasing it. Or you had seven wings of a hospital and we were waiting on one soffit dimension when we had a shop full of people or an engineering department that had extra capacity. So I ended up talking to PMs all the time and saying, here's what you don't understand. Maybe you don't need this released yet, but the business does. I argue that the right way to run an engineering department, and this is part of my agile engineering pitch, is at 
the smallest uh, you know, unit of flow that works. And I think that's each room. And so for engineering, that ends up being each shop drawing series, if that makes sense. So a shop drawing series to me would be like, we have room one, two, three, and we'll number our shop drawings like one, two, three, point oh, or point one, point two. Really, it's all just shop drawing series one, two, three. And I fight back against the normal way of doing things. I think the normal way of doing things is wrong because it ends up looking like this. Uh, I'm a project manager and I need a set of shop drawings done. So I send them off to engineering. Like six or eight weeks later, I get a submittal back that's like 80 pages and I'm busy putting out fires. So I don't look at it for the next three or four days, right? I finally sit down to look at it and I shoot an email back off to engineering and I say, hey, this is perfect. It's exactly what I wanted, except let's change all the countertops to inch and a quarter. <laughs> and suddenly we're reworking every drawing on every page in the submittal. And so much time has now gone by that we don't even remember why we made the choices we made and we end up making errors. And it turns out that there was a reason why it couldn't be inch and a quarter, but nobody can recall it, right? We've all been through that road. So the, the way to, to attack that is to apply lean principles. We gotta get to one piece flow. So we need to have a drafter draw one room and it needs to get approved by the PM. And they need to have 24 hours to turn it around. And they will tell you up and down how busy they are. You can look at one room, right? And then we have that same conversation. They say it needs to be inch and a quarter countertops. And we have not incurred nearly the amount of cost. It's so much cheaper to change it now because we haven't done all this other work, right? No. So in an ERP, you need to be able to break your work down to that, to whatever the smallest unit of flow you can get to. One piece flow is a, is a lean concept. You're never going to get to one piece but you can get as close as you can. And once you do that, you can break it up too. Microvellum is a great tool for this. You can have multiple engineers working inside the same project on different rooms at the same time. It brings some problems, that's for sure. And a lot of companies just say, well, we're not gonna do that because of the problems, but everything's a trade-off. We already talked about that. You can attack those problems. Having one engineer do a whole large $300,000 project also brings problems. They're just problems that we're used to, if that makes sense. So yeah. the key thing is break that unit of, of scope down, uh, one piece flow it, get it approved right away. Generally, your architects and homeowners, they won't take one piece flow. They won't let you send them over one room at a time for approval. So you end up batching there. And then what happens is you get to the work order level and machines don't think in rooms, machines think in sheets, right? So you end up batching there also. But those are the only two points. You need to take them right back apart afterwards. So at your, your saw or your CNC, you're cutting out parts, they should just sort them back out by room. And that way they progress onto edge banding and dowel and drill and onto the assembly line room at a time. Because a room is a unit of scope that you can deliver all at once, you can install all at once, and you can bill for all at once. And generally any subset of that, they won't take. That makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that brings up uh, <laughs> a lot of memories from the shop I was at and just how, how we did things. I'm like, man, if we would have uh, put a little bit of that into it, we, we probably could have been more efficient in what we were doing. Yeah. And the thing about that, too, is it takes the decision about how much to batch out of the project manager's hands who don't have enough information to know what's the right amount and puts it into production. So maybe today... We, we, we got tons to do, and I'm just going to sit on this work that's available because we get into production one room at a time, and I'm going to wait till I have five rooms and put them together, and we're going to put that out. Great. But maybe next week, we don't have anything for the shop to do, and we'll put out this one room, and we'll give up a little bit of yield in order to keep everybody busy, right? Well, production's the only one who's in the right place to know that. Yeah. Everything you were saying, Jonah, it's, I can totally relate to, to all of that. I mean. The, the system that we had in the office was basically me, right? So kind of going back to what we talked about earlier, if you know all this information is in one person's head, how is that gonna really benefit the company? So in my situation was, I had my hands in pretty much every project, knowing the installation schedule, knowing pretty much where we were in the project, but it was so difficult trying to go to the individuals to find out exactly where we, they were with the project. So to have something like a system in place that is dictating what needs to be done now, what needs to be done next week and next month, 
will just obviously benefit the, the business overall instead of one person kind of understanding what needs to happen and then trying to get that buy-in from somebody else. So I found it really difficult to explain the overall picture to somebody that's kind of looking at the job with blinders on, right? They don't see the other project managers' projects or they don't see what the engineers are working on. So to have a system that you can say, hey, look, this is, this is proof in the pudding. This is what is going on right now. It's mm -hmm. all the data, all this information is here. It doesn't lie to us. We know if we don't get this job out to the shop, we're not gonna make our dates. So again, back to having a system in place that's not just a person and having all that information in their head, super critical to, to making the, the success of the business you know, grow and to, to make for you know, just a better environment overall too. There were so many times where you know we were battling on, well, my job is ready now. Um, I got to get it out to the shop because they need it installed next week. Well, mm -hmm. you know, there's already three other jobs out in the shop that are being run. So what do we do? And to have a system in place to say, hey, okay, we're going to release a part of this project because yes, our machines, it's it's not doing anything, right? We're not just going to have our guys sweep the floor all week long. So let's send out a batch. We have a room that we know it's ready. You know, so again, back to the point of doing things in batches, but not having one person trying to make that decision of, okay, this is the batch that we're going to release today. Having a system tell the whole team, this is what we need to be working on. And it gets that buy-in from everybody. Yeah. And so you're talking about, you know, what work do we get to the shop? Ideally, your ERP helps you look at it further out than that. Ideally, mm -hmm. you can look at it and say, so next month, we're going to have a $2 million month, but $500,000 of that is stuck waiting for field dimensions. And give you a way as a manager to call up, or even as an engineering manager, I would do this, call up the project managers who have that work and say, look, like there is no way, it's almost October now, and you think that in October you're going to get all this scope done? And they'll say inevitably, oh, I promised them it would happen, it has to happen. I mean, this is like word for word what you're going to hear. And you can say, okay, you know what, there are still things that can be done right now. You call them up and you get them to agree to some whole two dimensions and you get this turned in right now and we'll get on it. Or you can say next month we're looking good, except half of our work is stuck in engineering, production engineering. What do we do? Right. To be able to see that six weeks out gives you some choices. Maybe you say, OK, our normal rule is shop drawings have to be updated before they go to the shop floor. But this month to get past our bottleneck, we're just going to send out red lines and they'll live. Right you have those choices or maybe you find an outsource company but you don't have those choices if you don't know about it until the project manager turns it in with five days left yeah no yeah and it's my and in my experience it's a lot easier to show them something on paper rather than just talking to them saying hey this is what's happening because i know what's happening and they're like well you know i don't really believe you, you don't know all the details no here we go this is telling us the full story I like right. computers. I don't print stuff, but sure. <laughs> yeah. We'll show them on our tablet. That's what I meant. <laughs> yeah, a lot easier to take that, take what's in your head, lay it out, whether it's on paper, it's on a screen, whatever it is, people are going to be able to see it versus just take your word. Well, and, and, you know, microvellum did the goal as a, as a book. And I'm a big believer in the goal. The theory of constraints is actually what our software is designed around. And so I use this example all the time with people. You know, if you have a CNC or a saw that can put out the parts for 50 cabinets every day, and you have an edge bander, typically they can do twice that. So it, can, it could band the parts for 100 cabinets in a day. But you have an assembly line that can only assemble 33. How many are you going to complete? You're going to complete 33 at most. And so if... I am the owner in that company and I go to IWF and I come back all excited and I say, listen, guys, I got a great deal. I bought the world's fastest edge bander. We could now band 400 cabinets a day. You know, pat me on the back. Look how, look what I did. How many are we going to ship that day? At most, it's going to be 33. I did nothing. And so being able to see what step the work is in, which is something engineering usually can't do in most organizations. They find out about it as a surprise every time it's released. Being able to see that lets you know where to put your attention. Because if you come in, in a lot of shops, they're gonna look at engineering and say, engineering is such a bottleneck. We need to come in and change everything. And why is this, you know, and they're gonna mess around with stuff that didn't need messing around with. 
because it really wasn't the source of the bottleneck. All that work that you said got turned in and has to be installed in five days. That project manager had that for three months. And the only thing he was waiting on was a final dimension on one wall. And you know what? As an owner, you might have said, well, get out there and get it. Or you might have said, you know what? Call them and tell them to give it to you. Or you might have even just said, we're just going to make all these and we're going to roll the dice that that last cabinet is the correct size. And if it turns out not to be, then we'll remake one cabinet. You know, you might have said any of those things, but you didn't get to because you didn't know about it. Well, Jonah, that was a lot of fun. It's great to see your passion for what you do and this industry. For those looking to implement an ERP into their organization, hopefully you have a better understanding of what you need to be thinking about. Do your due diligence, take your time, and make sure you select the solution that is gonna work for you. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more episodes to come. Until then, learn, grow, exchange. If you enjoyed today's discussion, please like and subscribe and leave us some love in the comments. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media and join our open community forums and knowledge base at community.microvellum.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.